Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to the second installment of our multi-part series on cryptocurrency taxation. In the first episode of this series, me and Matt Metris went over the very basics of cryptocurrency taxation. In today's episode, the second part of the series, Matt and I will go over more advanced aspects of cryptocurrency taxation. Everything from staking, margin, airdrops, gifts, donations, DeFi, etc. All of the more advanced facets of cryptocurrency taxation that are more and more popular every day. In future episodes of the series, we'll be discussing tax implication strategies, long and short-term gains, tax loss harvesting, cryptocurrency regulations, including past regulations, current regulations, where the future regulations may go, and how those regulations affect you as a taxpayer. We'll discuss cryptocurrency audits, which are becoming more and more frequent every tax year. And finally, we'll be discussing real and hypothetical cryptocurrency tax situations with tax professionals. We'll be talking directly to cryptocurrency tax professionals who have been in this space for years. They'll be sharing their experiences, their tips, and any hurdles that they've encountered in the crypto tax space. You're definitely not going to want to miss this because we're going to start with the basics of cryptocurrency taxation, and we're going to go into discussing the more advanced aspects of cryptocurrency taxation as well. Any question that you have about cryptocurrency taxation will be answered in this podcast series. So be sure to stay tuned each week for a new episode. Today, we're going to be going over what we discussed in last week's episode, and we're also going to be diving into some more advanced aspects of cryptocurrency taxation. Matt, thank you so much for being here again today. Thanks, Sal. Always happy to be here. First, Matt, I'd like to run through kind of briefly some of the stuff we talked about last week. We talked about some of the more basic transactions in cryptocurrency, and I just wanted to run through them once more, and you could tell me if they're taxable, and maybe we can kind of discuss where exactly they're reported on your tax forms and, and how people can report those. Yeah, sounds good. All right, great. We talked about buying crypto for fiat currency, like USD. Yeah, so that's not taxable, but you do need to keep a record of it or your exchange will keep a record of it that you need to save because that's your basis for when you do sell that cryptocurrency. Okay, great. And then how about selling cryptocurrency for fiat, like for USD? Yeah, that is taxable. And that's probably the easiest type of transaction that you'll encounter. It goes on form 8949, uh, which flows to the schedule D. So it's a capital gain or loss. Uh, and basically you take the price that you sold it for and you subtract the price that you bought it for, which was your basis that we talked about in the last question. Uh, and then whatever the difference is, that's the amount that you pay tax on. Okay, great. And then how about if you receive income for, uh, let's say you did a job for somebody and they paid you in crypto? Yeah, it's definitely taxable. Um, we need to kind of look through the transaction, look through the crypto part to like the underlying transaction to figure out where it goes on the tax return. So um, if you're self-employed, it would go on Schedule C, which is the self-employment form. Uh, maybe it doesn't reach the threshold of being a trade or business. Uh, activity, and then it would go on schedule one line eight Z. Um, and there's also scenarios where like you're a W2 employee, you work for an employer, you still get paid in crypto. And in that case, it would go on, uh, on a W2 and on your tax return, it ends up on line one A. Okay. So that was for receiving income for maybe doing a job for somebody. Is it the same for other types of crypto income, like staking, mining, airdrops? Yeah, so all of those things are what we would call ordinary income, meaning they get taxed at your marginal rate. Um, and again, we have to look through them uh, to see, you know, what the underlying nature of the transaction is. Like no one would be in the trade or business of receiving airdrops, right? Like that's not really a thing. So an airdrop would almost always go on schedule one. However, um, like if you're mining, 
it, it, you very well could be in a trader business, and then it would be, get reported on that self-employment form, the Schedule C. Uh, but not all mining activity is even going to be created equally, right? So if I'm running servers in my basement, uh, I'm checking on them every day, making sure they're patched and connected and running. Um, that's going to be a high level of activity, and that's almost certainly um, self-employment. Now, if I just take an initial amount of money and like send it off to a company that does everything on my behalf, it's possible that that's not going to be uh, a trader business. And that would again be reported on schedule one instead. Okay. One of the more popular activities in cryptocurrency is when somebody trades one coin for another, is that taxable? And then where does that get reported? Absolutely. Yes. So it is taxable. Um, and you're right. It is very popular. And what's really happening is almost two separate transactions at the same time. So you're disposing or selling one cryptocurrency and buying or acquiring a second cryptocurrency. Uh, so we have to break the transaction into two halves. So let's say I'm selling Ethereum. Uh, we figure out what the fair market value of that Ethereum is. And that becomes the exact same as if I had sold it for US dollars. Then at the exact same time, I'm taking that same amount of US dollars and buying the second coin. So that kind of flows through your basis will carry forward there um, from the proceeds from the first half of the sale. So it's it's almost like I sold it for dollars and I use dollars to buy it. You got to break it down into those two halves. All right, Matt. So in cryptocurrency, there have been what, what are called forks. And so can you explain how forks are taxed? Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the areas, uh, one of the very few areas on which the IRS has actually released concrete guidance that we can point to. Um, and in that scenario, uh, a fork is effectively when a blockchain splits into two. So we're think, talking like Bitcoin splits off Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin Cash splits off Satoshi's vision or just recently we had the Ethereum proof of work fork. So what the IRS has told us in Revenue Ruling 19-24 is that all of those forks result in ordinary income based on the fair market value at the time of the fork. So what that means is if I if I'm holding Bitcoin and the, and it forks into Bitcoin cash, the Bitcoin cash becomes income to me uh, at the time of the fork. And I have to report that on my tax return. It would also go on schedule one with all of the other ordinary income. OK, and then how about receiving a gift or giving a donation in crypto? Yeah, so gifts and donations, they, they basically follow the same rules as other properties. So let's talk about uh, receiving first. And, and it, this would just be a gift because you're if you're not a charity, you can't receive donations. Um, but I encounter with my clients a lot, they received crypto as a gift. And the general rule of thumb with a gift is you, uh, you take over the original basis from the person who gave it to you. You don't necessarily get the fair market value at the time of the gift. Um, and so a lot of times clients will have these gifted lots of crypto and they have no idea what the basis is because they never asked uh, when they received it. So it's very important to ask if you do receive a gift of crypto to record the basis uh, and make sure you have that in your records so that you don't have to pay tax on the full thing when you sell it. What about the acquisition date? Does that remain the day that you received the gift or is it whenever the, the person had bought the crypto? Yeah, good question. It's the original acquisition date. So it's almost as if you've had it the entire time uh, when the giver gives it to you. So you need all that information from the giver. Okay, what about if you're giving uh, crypto as a gift to somebody? Yeah, so and money going out uh, is a little different. And so there's there's two buckets here, right? There's gifts, which is not charitable, not donations. It's just you're giving, I'm giving you some crypto sale. 
Um, and as long as it's under $16,000 worth uh, to any recipient in any given year, there's no reporting that's required. If it goes over that 16,000, then um, I need to fill out what's called a gift tax return. That's form 709. Um, and, the, and the likelihood is that I will not end up paying any tax on it unless I'm giving you millions and millions because you have this, what's called a lifetime exclusion and it's your gift tax and estate tax combined. And you can work gifts against that basically uh, until you use it all up. Um, and it's currently like $11 million or something. So we don't have to worry about that, right? You know, unless we're giving giant, giant gifts and I want to be your friend if you are. Um, but if you do give someone more than 16000 worth of crypto, you do need to file that gift tax return. So there is a record of it. And then how about cryptocurrency donations, Matt? Yeah. So with donations... First thing we have to make sure is that the, the recipient is, you know, a registered charity of 501c3, because uh, that's what makes it tax deductible. Um, and in that case, it works the same as any other gift of property. Um, if it's over $250 worth, it has to go on what's called Form 8283. Um, you have to be able to itemize to even make this useful. Um, but your, your mileage may vary on the state level. So at the federal level, uh, since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2018, a lot of people just don't itemize anymore because it's not in their best interest. Um, but some states did not adopt those federal rules. So definitely check on your specific state to see if your gifts are deductible. Uh, the other thing that's really important to know, and the IRS recently put out what's called a chief counsel advice on this, is that if you donate cryptocurrency to a charity and the value is over $5,000, you have to have what's called a qualified appraisal done in order to take that deduction. So you have to find someone who is a qualified appraiser that's registered with the IRS and they have to give you the fair market value of the property that you donate. And that applies to all property, not just crypto over $5,000. Um, but the IRS did reiterate and, and reinforce that an appraisal is required, even if it's a stable coin, even if it's something that has an easily, um, you know, knowable value like Bitcoin, you can look it up online. Uh, you still have to get that appraisal. Matt, I've seen people talk about uh, something called like-kind cryptocurrency exchange. And, you know, sometimes you'll see some shady people talking about how when you trade one crypto for another, it's not taxable. And they refer to the like-kind rule. Can you talk about that? And is that true at all? It is not true at all. So there's a lot of history and baggage with this sale so, uh, dating back to the, the mid 20 teens. And so there's a provision in the tax code called Section 1031, also known as the like kind exchange. And prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2018, you could do a like kind exchange on all sorts of different kinds of property. If you had a cow and you were swapping it for another cow, you could do that and, and basically defer your capital gains. I, I use the cow example when I took the enrolled agent exam. Uh, there's all of these farm animals uh, examples that I've never encountered in my real life, actually, because I don't do any farm returns, but they spent a lot of time in the study material and the test uh, figuring out livestock 1031 exchange. So basically the way that a like-kind exchange would work is you don't pay any capital gains. You just kick it forward until you sell the second thing. Um, now, in the early days of crypto, a lot of people said, hey, I can do like-kind exchanges on crypto and I don't need to pay taxes until I sell to fiat. Um, that has never been the case. Um, and it basically became a moot point from 2018 on. Uh, but we still see people on Reddit and Twitter, uh, YouTube and TikTok saying that you can do a like-kind exchange. You don't have to report the gains until you sell to, to US dollars. And that's not the case. So just want to clarify that 
um, every every disposition is a taxable event. Right. So people should steer clear of anybody advising them that like kind is still a valid way to calculate your cryptocurrency gains. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Matt, at Bitcoin.tax, you know, we try and make things pretty easy to calculate your gains uh, in cryptocurrency. It's it's kind of a somewhat of a complex space, especially the more you do in it. But we try to make it as easy as possible. And I know you handle a lot of this stuff for your clients. You you can handle it for them. But if somebody's kind of on their own, they don't know about Bitcoin.tax, they don't know about Matt Metris, and they're trying to do their crypto taxes, can we just kind of talk about a little bit of the process of how they would go about that? For example... How do they get their data from these exchanges and will the exchange report their transactions to the IRS or or do they have to do that? Ooh, yeah, that's a that's a loaded question and a half too. So, <laughs> yeah, so you need all your data obviously. And there's it depending on on what kind of stuff you're into, it could be easier or more complicated to acquire. So, you know, let's take for example, uh the exchange Coinbase, right? Um you go on there and you're going to download a specific report uh, and for example, if you're using Bitcoin.tax, you click on the Coinbase button and it gives you the step-by-step -step instructions on how to get that report. Um, there are all sorts of different reports on these exchanges. So some of them are more useful than others for tax purposes. And the I ironic thing is Coinbase, for example, they have a tax report. It's absolute garbage. Don't use it for anything. Um, get the transaction report instead. So they, they've created this tax product that isn't helpful for taxpayers. So mm -hmm. a lot of people, it gets really complicated really fast if you're on more than one exchange. And then some exchanges are way better than others as far as the reports that they provide. Um, but you're kind of stuck with whatever the exchange provides you because, you know, all those trades happen behind their firewall. Now, on the other side of the Bitcoin, DeFi, all the records are stored on the blockchain, right? They're all available. Anyone can see them. Um, but some blockchains are easier to read than others. And some have tools that you can go out to thinking of sites like Zerion or Zapper mm -hmm. that where you can put in an address and basically scrape the transactions off of there, right? Um, and then you can calculate your, your taxes that way. But you do need to acquire all of these documents. Um, and I generally recommend uh, that people do it on a more frequent basis than annually, like every month or every two months, because we saw, especially in 2022, uh, the number of exchanges that just collapsed and went bankrupt, Celsius, Voyager, FTX, um, BlockFi, you know, people are having trouble getting those records now, um, and it's making their taxes more complicated because they don't have records to work from. Yeah, that's great advice. And can we talk about um, 1099s and how more and more recently uh, crypto exchanges are sending customers uh, 1099 and then also sending the IRS a copy of this 1099. So can we spend a little bit of time just, and we've, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but can we just spend a little bit of time demystifying the 1099 and what it means and what the customer has to do if they receive a 1099? Yeah. So 1099 reporting is a bit of a mess right now uh, in the crypto space. So there was uh, what's called the Infrastructure Bill or Infrastructure Act that passed in November of uh, 21, I think. And in it, it basically said that all cryptocurrency brokers, which would include exchanges, 
are required to report the 1099 information. And that was actually supposed to go into effect two months ago for January for the 2023 tax year. At the very end of December, the IRS said we're, we're postponing this until we have more concrete rules in place. And as of today, when we're recording in early March, we have not heard anything, but uh, rumors are that, that those could be coming any day now, the rules. So we, we don't know yet if this will be an issue for 2023 reporting, which we'll do in the spring of 2024. Uh, but the brokers are going to be all required to use a form called the 1099-DA for digital assets. Right now, all the different exchanges are using different hodgepodge of forms that they feel are most appropriate. So Coinbase is issuing 1099-Bs and 1099-Miscellaneouses. Uh, some other exchanges are using the 1099-K, which mm -hmm. has some problems to it. And those report different information. But if you get a 1099, it's very likely that that information has also gone to the IRS as well. So if you don't include that information on your return, you can definitely expect what we call a love letter, uh, which is going to be a computer generated notice saying, hey, you didn't report this on your return. Where things get a little bit funky is that all of these exchanges like Coinbase, for example, they're going to use first in first out by default on your 1099. That's not necessarily the way your taxes might be reported. Um, so that can make things a little messy as well, that your your tax return might not match the 1099, and you might need to explain why uh, when you file your return as well. And in that case, that's when it's good to have somebody like you on their side to explain this to them and to also interface with the IRS if necessary. Exactly. And, and it's unfortunate um, you know, if you have a simple situation and you have to interface with the IRS uh, just because of an erroneous 1099, I've seen a lot of those where, uh, you know, a client who's not somebody I, I prepare taxes for has come to me just to resolve their notice. And it's usually a pretty simple uh, resolution, but it still takes time and ends up costing, um, you know, the taxpayer money. So hopefully this new form will get things squared away where that's not an issue. So basically the summary there is that if you're using exchanges, centralized exchanges like Coinbase or Binance, it's very likely that if you exceed a, th a certain threshold that you're going to receive a 1099 and the IRS is also going to receive a copy of that 1099, that doesn't mean that you don't have to still report your activity. You still need to go ahead and calculate your cryptocurrency gains and then report that to the IRS, right? That's correct. As as the kids say, the TLDR is that you you have to reconcile everything on the return. So just because the IRS has that info, and, you, and we've all seen the meme going around that, you know, like, how much do I owe in taxes? Oh, we know, but we're not going to tell you. Um, you still have to put it all on your return and pay the appropriate tax on that. All right, Matt. So we talked about how it's super important to export your data from exchanges regularly. Um, however, you know, we've both been in this space a long time. We know that sometimes exchanges aren't perfect. I would say most of the time exchanges are not perfect. And there are problematic exchanges that don't always have um, all of your records or they, they don't make it easy to get your records. So what are some of the problems that listeners might encounter when trying to follow the advice we're giving? And then what are some of the solutions to those problems? Yeah, like you said, um, not every exchange is created equally as far as the quality of the reports and not going to throw anybody under the bus right now. But there are that some that are very, very poor. Um, and in some cases, just completely missing sections of your transactions with apparently no rhyme or reason. Um, so the first thing you want to do 
is make sure you're not missing any basis lots and you know you don't have what if you're using bitcoin tax you don't have any unmatched sales so when you go into the calculate screen it'll show you like hey you had more sells than you had buys of this particular coin or token and that's physically not possible right that means um you have these sales on paper but you never actually purchased the asset and the software by default is going to treat that as zero basis and and tax you on 100 of the gain so you don't want that so um looking through your records making sure that's the case sometimes those issues could be caused by time zone differences between exchanges some exchanges will report in their local time some will report in your local time some will report in um utc so uh, another thing to be aware of there, if you didn't add your forks or airdrops, sometimes manually or other rewards, you know, like staking rewards, stuff like that, that can create lots where you're missing basis information as well. So that's like the very first round check you want to make is to go through and, you know, clear up all of those zero basis issues that that usually resolves a lot of the problems. Mm -hmm. uh, then the next thing you want to be able to do is, is look at the what the software says you have at the end of the year. Um, and if the software says, okay, hey, I had three Ethereum at the end of the year, but I know I really had five, like that's another issue that you need to resolve. So checking that what we call closing position against the reality is another great way to hunt down uh, potential data entry errors and that sort of thing. Um, and so you might get to a point where you're just missing records. Your exchange disappeared like FTX, for example, and you can't get the reports. Um, you, you really don't have a lot of options at that point. You, you probably will have to estimate your best guess, there's, there's sort of a couple options, I guess. You're, the worst case scenario is to, to claim zero basis on those lots um, and pay full tax on it, which you don't really wanna do. Um, but you could also use like secondary sources, like an email that says, oh, hey, I bought this Bitcoin on such and such a date. And then you have a, at least a reasonable time frame to estimate um, when you got the, uh, the original lot that you're selling on paper. Let's say, Matt, that somebody is trying to do their crypto taxes and maybe they've been in crypto for a few years, but this is the first year they're doing their taxes. Uh, can we talk about the importance of having data from all of your tax years in order to do your current tax year? Yeah, and that's something that I encounter a lot too. You know, for example, a client comes to me to do their 2022 taxes and I haven't worked with them before, but they've been trading crypto since 2016. Um, it, it, you have to have the full picture. You have to have an accurate closing position from the year before to start this year with. So if I bought Bitcoin in 2016 for, you know, $10 or whatever it was, then it was probably a little bit more than that. Um, and I sold it in 2022. I need that information from 2016 to accurately do my 2022 taxes. Um, and a lot of times taxpayers just think of, okay, this is what happened in 2022. Those are the only records that I need. And they don't realize um, that they need the stuff from previous years. It can also be an issue if uh, you bounce around from software from year to year and you don't have the records from the prior years in there as well. That could also create issues. All right, great, Matt. That's a, a really great primer to all of the basics in crypto. And, and honestly, what probably a good majority of people in crypto, that's going to be their primary stuff that they're doing. Just the normal using Coinbase or selling crypto, buying crypto. That's that's more of like the basic stuff that a lot of people are going to be doing. And, and everything we just talked about and everything in the last episode should prepare and inform people on how to handle everything in that basic uh, sphere of crypto. 
Now we're going to talk a little bit more of the about the advanced stuff in crypto, which plenty of people are in and plenty of people are doing. Um, so it's just as important and it's and it's a little bit more complex. So let's start by talking about margin trading, which was a little bit more popular, I would say, a couple of years ago, but plenty of people are still doing margin trading on different centralized platforms. So how is margin trading taxed and, and how is it reported? So yeah, that's a great question, Sal. We are um, seeing sort of a decline in margin trading, especially because the SEC is is cracking down on exchanges that offer derivatives uh, to the US market. Uh, but we do encounter that from time to time. And basically at the end of the day with margin, you're borrowing money to trade with, um, which can be exceptionally risky. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, but if you make a profit, it basically gets recorded the same way. You had an initial amount of money you started with, you have an amount of money that you end with, and your capital gains are the difference between the two. So you are going to uh, pay fees or interest to borrow that money to use for uh, your margin trading. Um, and if you do have interest payments, those would go on IRS form 4952. Um, but if you're engaging in margin transactions, you, you are really above the DIY threshold of tax mm -hmm. preparation and you should be consulting with a professional. Yeah, that's great advice, Matt. And, you know, like we both said, margin, still plenty of people doing it, but it was a lot more popular in the past couple of years. Nowadays, the big popular thing that both of us see a lot of and, and most people in the crypto tax space see a lot of is uh, DeFi, which is uh, decentralized finance. And there's a lot of there's, DeFi is an umbrella term that covers a lot of different activities. Generally, it just means not on a centralized exchange, but there's a lot of different activities involved in DeFi. One of the more popular terms we see in DeFi is called staking. But as I just said, DeFi generally is concerned with decentralized platforms, not centralized platforms like Coinbase. But on platforms like Coinbase, there is also what's generally called staking. So can you just explain a little bit what is staking? Is it DeFi-related is it on centralized exchanges and how do we report it on our taxes? Yeah, that's a good question. We we use the word in the crypto community when I say we, uh, we use the word staking to mean a couple different things. So when we think of true staking, that's proof of stake blockchain maintenance, right? And that can happen on a centralized exchange. It can happen on a decentralized exchange. Typically you're delegating some of your tokens or coins to a validator who maintains the blockchain. And that's like staking staking, right? But there are a lot of other ways that you can just use your crypto to earn passive income. Um, and we generally refer to those as yield farming. Um, but a lot of times yield farming and staking are interchangeable terms. But a yield farm setup is is like a DeFi, on a DeFi exchange, you deposit some tokens um, and you earn a little bit of fees for letting the exchange use your tokens for a while. Kind of like when you put your money, you know, in a savings account at a bank uh, and you earn a little bit of interest. Um, so either way, the fees that you earn, whether they're staking rewards or fees from yield farming, those are going to be the ordinary income that we mentioned uh, earlier as far as reporting on Schedule 1. Yeah, I think that's a really great way of saying it. It can be definitely a more complex thing when you dive deep into staking. But generally, I think comparing it to like a savings account is a really good way of of looking at it because you're just 
you're letting somebody basically borrow your crypto or you're letting an entity borrow your crypto while you're making interest on it and you're getting paid interest on that crypto that's being essentially lent. And and there is debates about whether or not this is actually interest or not, because interest in the eyes of the tax code has some very specific rules attached to it. Um, and that's just one of those unanswered questions for the ages is, is this actually interest? Another somewhat popular act in crypto, Matt, is loans that you can take and loans that you can give. So can we talk about crypto loans and, and how that is taxed? Yeah. So so in general, and, and loans are uh, very popular in a very small niche of the crypto world. Um, and loans are generally not taxed. So the, the, a lot of it comes down to uh, the actual underlying transaction again. And so if I'm loaning uh, my crypto to you uh, or to a protocol, I the intent is that I'm going to get it back at some point. And so that's not a disposition. It's the same way that if you take out a mortgage on your house, that's not income, right? Because there's you have this collateral, I'm putting this up for collateral, I'm getting loan proceeds. Um, that's not income to me. However, if the loan gets called for whatever reason, like the price of crypto drops and the collateral falls too low and they call in the loan and they seize my crypto, at that point in time, that would be a disposition of the asset and I would have to record it for capital gain or loss purposes. But in general, the loan itself is not a taxable transaction. But if there's fees associated with it or you're earning interest for loaning out your crypto, those would be situations where you'd have to report that. Got it. Yes, that makes total sense. You always have to look at any excess that you're getting or any excess that you're paying. That's generally going to be what the taxable part of in a lot of this kind of DeFi stuff is, correct? Yeah, exactly. If you start and end with the same thing, there's probably not a disposition of your asset happening there. Right. And that's a really important point because a lot of this DeFi activity involves moving around large volumes of crypto and if somebody were taxed on that, it would it would cause some pretty massive gains. So it's it's really important, A, if you're doing this complex stuff to work with a tax professional and B, to understand the difference between disposing of and then simply moving your crypto to a protocol and, you know, earning a little bit of interest on it. It's just very important to be cognizant of that if you're doing these, uh, these DeFi activities. And C, to have meticulous records. Yes, that is probably the most important thing you can do is to have meticulous records. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for mentioning that, Matt. Yeah, of course. All right, Matt, another big name in the uh, DeFi space and also one that really leaked into the mainstream big time last year, you know, and, and not so much anymore, but hopefully it'll pick back up. But um, NFTs, uh, non-fungible tokens. Can you explain how NFTs are taxed and, and how they might be reported to the IRS? Yeah, so uh, an NFT is literally non-fungible token, as you said, and and for the most part, they're treated the same as fungible tokens. So pretty much everything else is a fungible token, um, meaning like if I have a $5 bill in my left pocket and a $5 bill in my right pocket, and I owe you five bucks, you don't care which one of those you get. Yeah, they have different serial numbers, um, but they're basically interchangeable. And that's what fungibility is. So NFTs, on the other hand, are not fungible. I have, two, you know, I have a token in one pocket and a token in the other pocket. They're very different. Um, and so you might not want one over the other. Um, but from a tax standpoint, they work pretty much the same way. They're capital gains when you uh, dispose of them. So you acquired it for a certain price, you're going to sell it for a certain price or trade it for a price. Um, and then you pay 
the tax on the difference, the gain or loss there. Um, the only un really unanswered question on NFTs is if they would be subject to what's called the collectibles rate. So the IRS has a special tax rate for things that it considers collectibles uh, if you've held it for long term and it has a gain. So we really don't know. I don't want to get too far into the weeds on that, um, but it's another outstanding question whether or not um, you should be paying tax at the collectibles rates on appreciated long term NFTs. Okay. And if somebody is uh, minting an NFT and they're paying a fee uh, or a gas fee, those fees can be used for basis, right? For those NFTs? If you're not the creator of the NFT, if you're just minting it, you know, from a project and you're paying a fee, that would be basically become your basis. If you're buying it with dollars, then, you know, that's not a reportable transaction. If you're buying it like with wrapped Ethereum or something, uh, then you would be disposing of a crypto asset to buy that NFT. So the first half of that transaction is reportable. If you're an NFT creator, um, any income you receive from the minting of NFTs is probably going to be self-employment income, um, which is a whole different ball of yarn to go down. So if you're creating NFTs, you should definitely be working with a professional as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then finally, I, I want to talk a little bit about gaming in the DeFi space, which has some popularity as well. And I know, to be honest, Matt, I know you're a bit of a uh, of an expert in this field. So can you talk a little bit about DeFi gaming and, and rewards from DeFi gaming and, and some examples and how that's that's taxed. Yeah, I'm definitely a, a DeFi Kingdoms degen, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I got involved in because I had a client last year came to me with um, 600 grand tied up in that game. So I started wow. playing it and it's a lot like a um, 1986 uh, NES game. <laughs> Not nice. the best graphics and things like that, but I still play it. Uh, and I've lost 99% of my money in there, but that's a whole <laughs> different story. Um, gaming is a really interesting area because you're doing all these things and you don't really think of them as taxable transactions. So for example, in DeFi Kingdoms, you can go on quests and you can go fishing um, and you pull tokens out of the lake basically. Um, and sometimes they have teeny tiny bits of value like a penny, uh, but there was a time I pulled a $200 egg out of the lake um, and that would be an airdrop effectively. It's ordinary income at the time of receipt. Now, if it's you know worth a penny, it's not gonna be a big deal, but in the aggregate, when you do it hundreds and hundreds of times, um, you're still gonna have income on there that needs to be reported. On top of that, the game utilizes NFTs as your characters. So you're potentially buying and selling and even leveling up NFTs, which is effectively going to be both a disposition of cryptocurrency and an adjustment to basis. So this is where stuff gets really, really advanced. Um, and you can buy property in these games as well to, to house your, your NFTs. And so there's all sorts of different nuanced aspects that really interact with almost every corner of the DeFi world. Um, and we look through the game part again to the underlying DeFi transaction to determine the taxability and the reporting requirements. Yeah. And I think it's important to just note that if you're in the DeFi space, just kind of be cautious about what you're doing in the sense that as Matt just illustrated, even things like, you know, fishing up an egg, which just sounds so silly to somebody that's not in the space, that is, it has taxable implications. And anything you're doing in the DeFi space, I mean, I know there was like a social media network where uh, you could like a post with crypto and it's like, you're technically paying crypto to like a post or something like that. And it's like, stuff like that is all has taxable implications. So you just, it, there's a, probably a lot of fun stuff you can do in the DeFi space. But in reality, a lot of it is taxable stuff. So just 
be cautious that that silly game you're playing or that you know silly website that you signed up for uh, could have taxable implications. So just be cautious of that. Yeah, and it's important to note that we're sure that there are taxable implications, but the IRS has never released anything concrete about anything DeFi related ever. Um, so a lot of it, we're kind of guessing how these transactions should be treated for tax purposes. And that that leaves you know a lot of ambiguity um, that if you take a more aggressive position could be problematic down the road. But if you take a more conservative position, you could end up paying more tax than you needed to. So lots of trade-offs um, when determining the taxability of these transactions. All right, Matt, the first episode we did, we went through all the basics of crypto. This episode, we we went through the basics again, and then we also went through some of the more advanced aspects of crypto and how it's taxed. As always, I appreciate you. Matt, thank you again so much for being here today. You're very welcome, Sal. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crypto Taxes Explained Guide. You can listen to this whole series by going to bitcoin.tax slash crypto tax guide. If you enjoyed this series, we'd really appreciate if you left us a positive review on whichever platform you're currently listening on. Don't forget, you can go to Bitcoin.tax for any of your cryptocurrency tax calculation needs. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.